So uh, whenever Nicodemus came to Jesus, I think the question he really was wanting to ask was, how do you do it? How, how do you do what you do? And uh, he didn't ask that question, of course. Uh, Nicodemus was a very uh, well-educated man. He was a teacher in Israel. He was, a, he was a ruler. And so he didn't come right out and say, how do you do it? He came perhaps with more subtlety. Uh, maybe didn't want his pride to be dented that quickly. And uh, so he asked the question that may have even had a little bit of uh, sort of flattery in it, which was, uh, teacher, we know that no one could do what you're doing unless God were with him. You probably thought that's a good way to start this conversation. And Jesus cut right to the chase, knowing the fact the question really that Nicodemus wanted to answer to was, how do you do it? And particularly, how do you heal people? How do you heal people who can't see so they can see, so they're deaf they can hear? How can you heal people that are lying on a mat and can't walk? perhaps for 30 or 40 years, and with a word you can say, and they can get up and walk. Nicodemus knew he was meant to be Israel's teacher. He was meant to be able to say everything they needed to know about the kingdom of God. And yet he realized there was so much he didn't know, and he realized that Jesus was living in a way that was beyond Nicodemus's understanding, beyond his experience, beyond his knowledge. And so he came to him at night, probably because he was embarrassed, it was a real risk to him. And so he came to ask that question, really, how do you do it? How are you alive in the way that you're alive? How can you be living the way that you're living? The last service I want to try to illustrate, just in case there's any doubt, um, how, how can I prove that I'm alive to you? And uh, so I thought one way to do that was to show you a birth certificate. Hopefully come up on the screen. Nigel Hard Parker, born 1st of January 1969 in the Castle Ray district. And uh, there you go. So does that prove that I'm alive? Well, it helps. But it could be a fake, could be a forgery. And uh, the, it could be another Nigel Hard Parker or that Nigel Hard Parker could have passed away. It definitely helps, but it doesn't prove that I'm alive. So how, how can I prove to you that I'm alive? Well, I could tell you all about my birth. The only problem is I can't remember a thing about my birth. Can anyone here remember a thing about their birth? No, it's a glorious blank, a veil drawn over. We can't remember a thing about our birth. Perhaps the best way for me to say, look, here's proof that I'm alive, is to say, hey, I'm alive. I, I've got a pulse. I can feel a pulse. Uh, I can move. I can understand. I can talk. I can breathe. Pretty conclusive proof. I should hope that I'm alive. And really what Nicodemus wanted to know was of Jesus, how are you alive? It seems to be that you're alive in a different way than the rest of us, that you're moving in a different way, a different plane, a different authority, and a different power, a different awareness of God. You speak about God as if, as if you know Him, and obviously you exercise the power of God. How is it that you're doing this? And that's the question that Nicodemus wanted the answer to. I was thinking, you know, how, why did Jesus use this analogy of birth? Because what Jesus does, in illustrating and answering Nicodemus's question, is that he starts talking about birth. 
And I sort of wonder, you know, this night, uh, was, there, was there a woman in labor nearby? Uh, so often Jesus spoke using metaphors and analogies that were happening in the here and now, whether it was someone sowing a field or harvesting a field or, or plowing a field. And I sort of wonder that night, was there a woman giving birth nearby? And Jesus in the moment realized the Father has given me an opportunity here to speak to this teacher from Israel about how is it that there is life beyond what Nicodemus understands. Here's another picture, uh, please, of um, a baby before the baby is born and after the baby is born. We have the privilege of knowing a lot more than Nicodemus or Jesus would have known at that time as to what the essence or ability is of a child that's in the womb. So what's the difference between a baby that's in the womb and a baby that is born? Any ideas? What about uh, freedom of movement? Is there more room, perhaps, once the baby is born? I imagine in the womb there's, there's very little space after a while, uh, whereas the child on the right-hand side has all sorts of room to move, has a whole, a whole universe, a whole world to move around in. What about the level of light? How much light does a child in the womb have? Very, very little. It can see very, very little. A baby in the womb can see from about six and a half months on. At that time, the child begins to open his or her eyes, starts to look around and test them out, and can start to see a few inches. And on a bright day, can see movements around them through the womb, out of the womb, into the bright rooms that are around them. A child from about six and a half, seven months can start to see. Also as well, what about... Uh, what the child experiences in the womb in terms of, uh, I, I described this the first service to the children about being in a swimming pool, obviously a very small swimming pool, uh, but the fact is the child is moving in fluid, amniotic fluid. When the child is born, it's not in fluid any longer, it's in the world, it's in the place of air. And also as well, in the womb, the child really only has access to one relationship, his or her mother, whereas that could be anybody's arms and hands holding the child. And we all love that opportunity to hold a newborn baby. The baby loves to experience new relationships and we love to have that moment of connection, of relationship. Being born brings into a whole new world of relationships. There is such a difference between being in the womb and being born. Also as well, in the womb, a child from about five months onward can start to hear, can start to recognize parents' voices, can start to recognize sounds and music. But again, it's a bit like trying to listen when you're underwater in a swimming pool. You can hear there are sounds, but it's pretty muffled. I imagine it's like sensory overload when a child comes in into the world and suddenly the fluid has gone the air is there, and the sights and the sounds, I'm sure, are overwhelming. Perhaps that's why we don't get to, to, to remember anything about it. What Jesus recognizes when Nicodemus comes to speak to him is that Nicodemus is like a baby in the womb. 
the reason why he has come to Jesus is because he recognizes there's something beyond the wall of the womb. In the life of Jesus, he recognizes that there are there are things out there that he doesn't understand. He can hear sort of muffled sounds of the kingdom of God. He gets vague pictures or illustrations of light and dark through the wall of the spiritual womb. That's why he's come to Jesus. He's aware there's life out there beyond his imagination, beyond his understanding. And to his credit, he comes to try and find out about it at great risk to himself. But notice he comes under the cover of darkness. And the whole, the whole journey of Nicodemus in John's gospel, because this is the first of three times that we hear about Nicodemus. Here in John 3, then in John 7, whenever Nicodemus in the Sanhedrin, of which he's a part, whenever they're basically plotting to have Jesus killed without trial, and Nicodemus takes a risk and he says, hold on a second, shouldn't a man deserve a trial? Shouldn't he deserve an opportunity to speak up for himself? And his, his co religious leaders turn on him and they mock him and they say, are you from Galilee too? A prophet can't come from Galilee and they try to put him back in his place. And then in John chapter 19, after Jesus has been crucified and he goes bravely just before the Sabbath begins, in the twi just before twilight happens, and he goes with Joseph of Arimathea, and he brings with him aloes and myrrh. He brings with him a large quantity of precious things to, to anoint Jesus' body for burial. What he brings costs a vast amount of money. But the greatest risk he's taking is not financial. The greatest risk he is taking is of his own life. Here he is in a place where it seems there is all to lose and nothing to gain because Jesus has been crucified and he is in the daylight bringing with Joseph this body of this man, the son of man, the son of God into a tomb. And the journey of Nicodemus in the gospel that John wants us to understand is the one that is illustrated by those verses in John 3, 20 and 21, which hopefully can come up on the screen, where John is giving us an insight into the journey that Nicodemus goes on. It's a journey of birth. It's a journey from darkness to light. Everyone who does what is evil hates the light and does not come into the light for fear their deeds will be exposed. But whoever lives by the truth comes in into the light so it may be plainly seen that what they have been done has been done in the sight of God. It's an epitaph of the life of Nicodemus. Last week we examined the fact that we're going to meet Mary, the mother of Jesus, twice. We meet Nicodemus three times in the Gospel of John and it's a journey from darkness to light. And finally, albeit only by a margin, Nicodemus finally, on the day that Jesus is crucified, carries the body of Jesus with Joseph of Arimathea to the tomb just before dusk and just before it gets dark because the body has to be buried before the Sabbath happens. And John is describing for us how someone, a man called Nicodemus, takes the journey from darkness to life. He takes the journey into a place where he understands how God works. 
he can hear, he can see, he becomes aware, and he moves into a whole new place of relationships because the wind blows wherever it pleases. In other words, the Holy Spirit is the one that raises up faith and brings people into the kingdom of God because the Holy Spirit is the midwife by which we are born from a place of darkness and not understanding God to a place where we do begin to understand God. We move from a place of being in the womb into a place of being in the light. The big challenge for Nicodemus was this. Nicodemus really lived his life in a way believing that the most important thing about him was what was written on his metaphorical birth certificate. See, for Nicodemus, the most important thing in his life was that he was someone who was a Jew, a son of Abraham. There was nothing more important in Nicodemus's life not just because he was a devout Jew, but because he believed the only way to know God was to be born a Jew. And he was not alone. There were millions of people like him. There were millions of Jews who believed that the only way to know God was to be born a Jew. That had been drummed into Nicodemus all his life. He had drummed it into other people all his life. And so the question that seems puerile to us that Nicodemus asks isn't in fact puerile after all. He says, how can someone go back into their mother's womb and be born again? It seems a stupid question. But actually what Nicodemus is saying is, how can I be born again to know God? Because Nicodemus only understands there's one way to be born to know God, and that is to be physically born is to come into the world with a birthright, a piece of paper that says, I am a son of Abraham because that is the only way to know God. And what Jesus is telling Nicodemus at that first meeting is this, Nicodemus, if you want to know God, if you want to live in the way that I live, if you want to live in the ever-living presence of the Holy Spirit, if you want to live in the awareness of heaven and earth, there's one thing you'll have to do, and that is you're going to have to rip up your birth certificate. That's the only way that you're going to get to know what it looks like outside the womb you're going to have to accept the fact that people from different tribes and different nations, men and women and Gentiles and Samaritans and people you don't like and people you don't want to associate with, Nicodemus, if you want to be born into this family, they have to become your brothers and sisters. You have to be willing to leave back all privilege and all background of what it means to be a Jew and realize that God is working out a new purpose and inviting all sorts of people into the kingdom of God because the wind blows wherever he pleases. You can't tell where he comes from and you can't tell where he's going. And so it is with everyone born of the Spirit. And how do you enter into this new life? Well, Jesus tells him. And he quotes scriptures that Nicodemus would have known inside out from Numbers Chapter 21, he reminds him of Moses lifting up a bronze snake on a pole in the desert because the Jews had turned their back once again on God. They had ceased to trust God for their deliverance from the wilderness into the promised land. 
And so God allowed venomous snakes to come and bite the Israelites, and they started to die in large numbers. And they cried out to God, and God instructed Moses, make a bronze snake, put it on a pole. Whoever is bitten and looks at the image of the snake held up on the pole, they will live. And Jesus says, just as the snake was held up in the wilderness for people to be rescued physically from death, so too the Son of Man will be lifted up. He will be exalted. And whoever looks to him will have this eternal life that I'm talking to you about. If you want to know how to be born into the kingdom of God, you believe in the Son of Man who is lifted up. In other words, isn't it strange that to discover healing from a snake bite, the antidote would be to look upon a bronze snake? And yet how different is the cross whenever God says to us, if you want to move from a place of death to life, if you want to grasp hold of eternal life, and not just eternal life, but everlasting life, what do you do? You look upon the very the very picture of death itself. You look upon what we, as broken, sinful, bitter human beings do whenever God walks among us. We crucify Him. We can't handle Him. And so we put Jesus to death. And yet in the place that we might imagine, is this not going to spell the very end of our lives, the fact that we put the Son of God, the Son of Man to death because we couldn't handle His goodness? And yet amazingly what the cross communicates to us is that actually in the place that we would believe would be our place of condemnation, our place where we think, surely we can't sink any lower as human beings to kill another perfect human being. Surely that will bring condemnation upon us. And yet what Jesus says is no. The place that you might think would be your ultimate place of condemnation is your ultimate place of salvation. The place that above anything else describes how base and devoid of goodness we as human beings are is the place where God's grace shines through. It's only by the grace of God we can be saved. It's only by the grace of God we can be born again or born from above or born of God. As we mentioned in our first week about all things new, when we looked at John chapter 1 and realized that John chapter 1 summarizes everything that happens in John's gospel. And that wonderful reading that we'll have, God willing, at Christmas time, whenever John says, yet his own did not receive him. People like Nicodemus would not receive him, although Nicodemus eventually did. Yet to those who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, not born of natural descent or of human decision or a husband's will, but born of God. How do we become born of God? We look at the one 
who has taken death upon himself. And in the very place that we think will spell death for us all, we actually find there's life. We find there's grace. And we find there's forgiveness. Nicodemus discovered that life. It was a long and painful birth. And John's gospel tells us about that journey. Because the whole of John's gospel is about discovering eternal life by believing in the one who hung on the cross for us. Have you discovered that new birth? Have you been born of God? There are two things that Jesus tells Nicodemus. Nicodemus doesn't fully understand because you can't understand until you believe. So many want to understand and then believe, but Jesus says, no, if you want, it has to be you believe and then you'll understand. And what Nicodemus discovered, what so many of us are invited to discover, is that we can only move from the place of darkness into the place of light. We can only move into the place of air and wind and the sense of God's presence when we believe in the one who was exalted and crucified for us. And when that happens, we can hear God in a brand new way. The fluid comes out of our ears. We can see God in a brand new way. We can sense God in a brand new way. And we have a whole new range of relationships with all the other believers who are baptized into the kingdom of God. And there's two things that Jesus says to Nicodemus. There's no such thing as being half-born. You're either born or you're not born. There is no halfway house. That's why Jesus said to Nicodemus, unless you're born again, you will not even get to see the kingdom of God. And the second thing Jesus says to Nicodemus is this, birth happens by water and the Spirit. By water, he meant that you need to be baptized. Whether as an infant or as an adult or in between, we all need to be baptized in water. And that signifies two things, cleansing from sin and entering into a new family where you don't get to choose your brothers and sisters. And the second thing is being baptized in the Holy Spirit and being aware of the presence of God and being able to hear God in a brand new way. And I want to invite us over these days and weeks and months and God willing years ahead to have an expectancy once we believe and are born to have an expectancy to hear God and to live in His presence. I have been reminded just in this last week how God communicates to us. It was wonderful just talking to someone from the church family here uh, at a previous service telling me how actually he had heard God audibly speak to him in recent months and it has had a profound impact on his life. And God spoke to him in a very earthy situation. I've also been reminded this week how God speaks to us in all sorts of ways through Bible verses or through other believers, even through a nursery rhyme. God speaks to us in ways that we can understand. 
in ways that we can receive, in words and pictures that are relevant to us if we're willing to hear him, if we're willing to have an expectancy that once we are born by the Holy Spirit into the realm of heaven, then we have direct access to God the Father through Jesus Christ by the power of the Holy Spirit. And we get to have a conversation with God that we never need to cease. Because God is a God who's always speaking, always communicating his love, always communicating his grace. And yet so often we're too busy to listen. I know so often I'm too busy to listen. And yet if we're willing to be still and know that God is God, if we're willing to trust as those who trust in Jesus that God loves us and as a good father is communicating love to us in all sorts of ways, we will be bowled over by what he's saying. Are you hearing the voice of God? Do you know that he loves you? Do you know that he died for you? He does.